welcome, uh, or thanks for having me if you're watching online. Uh, you can turn off if you want at any point, and I won't be offended because I won't know. Um, it's always enjoyable being in Metro worship because it always sounds so good, you know? Uh, and obviously it's spiritual as well, but don't you think Matt Myers looks fierce these days? How that comment, you know, it's the beard, it's the facial hair, I think, you know, it, does it? Years of working with Philip Yeah, yeah. And also singing in Welsh, that will make you fierce, won't it? At various times. So we're here, One Hit Wonders, and um, honestly, the kind of minor characters in the Bible, where they appear once and then we, well, there's often so much richness in, in following those little trails and digging a little bit into those characters, and and tonight's subject, Lydia, is no exception. Um, I, I actually live in a community house, as many of you will know, and one of my housemates is called Lydia. And um, I said to her, do you want to come along tonight and be a visual aid? And, and, and she declined. But, um, but Lydia, it's a great name, isn't it? Do you know what it means? Well, to be honest, um, Lydia was called Lydia because she came from Lydia. It's a bit like, you know, you come from Wales and you're called Taff or... From, um, you know, I don't know, one of my best friends. Yeah, Jordan, you come from Jordan, you're called Jordan. Um, so she came from Lydia, uh, which is a, a, a region in uh, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and uh, it was um, famous for local produce like making purple cloth. So we'll come across her, hear a bit of her story. But in fact, why don't I read to you from Acts chapter 6? This is the story of, of Lydia, and um, it's told. First person, really, from Luke, who was with Paul on his missionary journey. Luke, one of the companions of Paul, well, he saw it all, and he recorded it in his book, the book of Acts. So, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city in Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God, and the Lord opened her message to respond to Paul's message. Is that it? No. Good. Uh, and when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I think at the heart of this message tonight is um, a bit of a reflection for us about mission, about what it means to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who he is drawing to himself, the people who are seekers. And this is a, a really significant episode in the New Testament because this is the very first mission in Europe. And all of us who are European, this is our legacy. What happened here opened a doorway so that generations on, people like you and I could also respond to the good news about Jesus. And the first things, when the first things happen in the Bible, they're, they're often significant to take note of. So this first mission into Europe has got so many aspects to it. To start off with, this is a mission led by the Holy Spirit. Now, um, it's so fruitful in our lives if we can partner with the things that God's doing. 
To be honest, um, Jesus once said this phrase, I only do what I see the Father doing. Now, honest to God, you know, for me, if I only did what I saw the Father doing, I'd probably spend a lot of time in bed because I don't always glimpse what God's doing that clearly. And I should get better of it. I should work harder trying to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, trying to discern the purpose of the will of God for me on a day-by-day basis. But what I have experienced is that when I partner with God, rather than asking God to partner with me, things work out better. You know, it's, you, there's two ways of doing life. You can ask God to bless what you're doing, or you can bless what he's doing. You can cooperate with what he's doing. And this was Paul's methodology, actually. He was the follower of Jesus. He, like Jesus, wanted to do what he saw the Father doing. He was very obedient to the call of God on his life and the direction of God on his life. He was always looking for direction. And in the preceding chapter, you'll see that despite numbers of opportunities for what seemed to be fruitful ministry, Paul felt, no, we shouldn't be doing this. And then one night he had a vision in a dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And he and the team with him concluded, this is God calling us to go across the water to Europe. And so that's what they did. They responded to that missional call. So that's perhaps the first thing to say about this first thing. It's a spirit-led mission. And I want to say to you, if you're watching tonight or you're here as a visitor, you may be very still agnostic, a bit ambivalent about the Christian faith. And honestly, if you are watching or if you're here tonight, the rest of the room are really keen that you're here because they want you to be like a Lydia, someone they can share faith with if they're honest, they would would love that. And they're not going to kind of ram that down your throat, but they would love that to be an outcome, that they could, uh, and and perhaps as the story goes on, we'll see what some of the good outcomes of giving our life, opening our life to God are. Um, But here, for us, as as a church community, one of the calls that we all have as churches is to be doing these kind of things. We've been commissioned and sent into the world to facilitate, to enable people to have a relationship with the living God who don't yet know him but are hungry and seeking for him. And for, for so many people in their lives, if they're honest, there's something that they're aware of, a longing, something that there's more to life than this, you know, that, that spiritual hunger. That's, we manage that in all kinds of ways. But as the followers of Jesus, as Christian community, that's our job, to go and help people. And this is what Paul was doing. And so the first convert, the first people that they found um, was a woman. And that's also important because in the New Testament, women are really, really important. So much of the history of human civilization has been driven by patriarchy, driven by... um, men abusing power to dominate women. And that is changing. It's not completely eradicated, of course. uh, And in many parts of the world, it's still horrendous. But in in our culture, we've seen a lot of change. But it's driven by Jesus himself, who was always elevating women, honouring women, and commissioning women. And I think it's very significant in this first mission to Europe that the first person that they found who clearly responded to God was a woman. And let's think about the location. Um, Paul and his team end up in a city called Philippi, and it's called a leading city in the region of Macedonia. Um, It's actually the site of a a famous battle between um, um, Augustus and um, 
who was uh, Julius Caesar's kind of um, nominated heir, and um, Brutus and Cassius, you know, the ones who stabbed Caesar to death. And, um, and, and they established in that place uh, a very definite Roman colony. It was a place where Roman legionnaires could settle when they'd retired from the army, and they would enjoy the full rights of a Roman citizen. It was like a little Roman outpost, distinctly Roman, here in, in Macedonia. And so for Paul and his team, that they're leaving a kind of oriental, eastern kind of um, culture in um, the Jerusalem and Judea and, and the regions around. And they're going into a, a distinctively European and Romanized culture. And um, it doesn't seem to have enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. You, you have 10 men can form a synagogue. They were perhaps looking for that. Are there some good Jews here in Philippi? But they couldn't find any. But they went to the place of, of prayer, a place where if there were going to be people of faith gathering, it would be by the river outside. Maybe the, the water of the river is used for purification rites for Jewish worship. But actually, they just found some women there. And um, in that place of prayer, a group of women who may be a mixed bunch, some of them Jewish women, and some of them people converts to Judaism. And we're going to particularly look at that woman who's highlighted here, Lydia, and what makes her significant, what makes her responsive to the gospel. You know, when Jesus sent out his teams on mission, doing what they saw the Father doing, obeying his call, he often told them to look for a person of peace. In Luke 10, 5, or in Matthew 10, 11, we, we, we read Jesus' instructions. If you find a person, when you go to a town, find a person of peace and stay with them and bless them and their peace will rest on you and your peace will rest on them and that will be a great outpost for kingdom influence. And, and it's very much a kind of strategy. If you want to reach a whole community, where's an influencer? Where's a person of peace? Where's a person who's responsive? Because if you can form a relationship with them, if you can win them, then you can find a bridgehead into the whole community. And I think Paul, he operates in the spirit of Jesus. He does that kind of thing. So let, let's think what we know about Lydia. So first of all, she's geographically mobile. As I've already said, she comes not from uh, Macedonia. She's not European. She's come from the region of Asia Minor, known as Lydia. People who are geographically mobile, people who move, find in those movements, those transitions, they're open to new ways of thinking. And this is your little commission. This autumn, a whole bunch of people will be moving to this city. And when they move, for a season, they will be really open to new ideas, new relationships, new possibilities. For those of you who work with students, it's an, ex it's an ex extraordinarily fertile time um, in the lives of, of, of students to find a, an open opportunity to begin to share things that they may not have experienced before. There will be people coming to our city who've never really experienced a church like this, who've never experienced a church that have young people in it, who've never experienced a, a community of people who follow Jesus and are contemporary. That will be a surprise. That'll be a wake-up call. And because they are geographically moving right now, there's a window which doesn't last that long, actually. But I just want to commit, uh, commend to you, working with Alexa and supporting her enormously in what she's been tasked with, to be um, working with you and your student community 
to create a place where those geographically mobile people will find. But it's not, of course, just students. It's also um, people from all over. I had the pleasure of talking with Steve Bodley this week. Steve, is Steve here tonight? He's probably chilling out after a weekend away. Yeah, yeah. But Steve was telling me how he moved to Bristol, geographically mobile, and thought, you know what? I'm going to give church a try. He'd not been in church for a while, you know? Childhood experience in church. Not been in church for a while. What's my nearest church? Metro. Came along. Changed his life. Found a wife. All sorts of stuff. <laughs> but it's, it's, that's a real key thing. Geographical mobility is a key to bridgeheads for the gospel. So, so second thing about her. She's spiritually mobile. She's a proselyte. Don't get that word confused with anything else. But um, what that means is uh, a Gentile person who is attracted by Judaism. And here she is. She's with these Jewish women. She's, she will have gone through an initiation process, a process of, of learning about Yahweh, learning about one God, perhaps leaving beside, behind a, a very diverse, synchronistic pagan culture and becoming um, captivated by the idea that there is one God. And I guess she is a worshipper. And, you know, there are people who are spiritually mobile and who are drawn to faith. In the, in the book of Acts, Cornelius is another such person. We, we read about him, you know, again, the, a Roman centurion who is a Gentile who just is drawn to, drawn to God somehow and, and finds himself drawn to this, this Jewish faith and and God speaks to him. You know, um, in John's Gospel, we read when, when Jesus is talking to a, a woman, again, he, he loves just to elevate and reveal God's love, God's heart for women. But he says, um, the Father is seeking true worshippers, people who worship him in spirit and truth. And the Father is. The Father is drawing out worshippers. And worshippers are actually everywhere. They may not be conventional worshippers. There are some people who come to church and they are not worshippers. They're there for all kinds of reasons, but they're not primarily worshippers. But out there in the, the streets and communities of Bristol, there are people who are worshippers at some level. They're, they're looking for, for God, and he is looking for them. And our job is to help make that bridge of connection. And it's really interesting when, when someone's spiritually mobile as well as geographically mobile, they're not stuck with their kind of childhood faith or their childhood atheism or their childhood agnosticism or whatever culture they're in. They're open-minded. They're open to explore. That's why a tool like Alpha is fantastic because Alpha is for people who are spiritually mobile, who are willing to ask those questions, to be able to look at the, the stuff, to say, look, I really want to know. I don't want to be stuck in a, a rigid mindset. I want to know. And uh, right now, it's Alpha season. You know, we're starting Alpha um, at Woody's next month. And um, we'd love it. Again, the, the spiritually mobile people, people who in their hearts are seeking God, will find their way there. And it's extraordinary how many people have come into a living relationship with God because they've been spiritually mobile. Here's another thing about Lydia. She's influential. She's a businesswoman. She's bringing her skills and her trade and her unique um, brand to this Roman colony of Philippi. And God loves everybody. He cares for the poor. 
but he also cares for the influential. And sometimes as, as Christians, we have um, a kind of downward focus. In a sense, it's kind of quite easy for us to kind of want to minister to people who we feel we've got something to give to. But we're not so good always at, at, at ministering to people who are powerful, influential. But whoever you are, you need Jesus. And, and it's a wonderful thing when people of influence come to faith in, in God and allow their influence to reach a whole sphere of other people. So I just want to commission you to care for the poor for sure, but also to care for the rich and the powerful and the business community. And um, if, if you're in the business community today, I mean, again, Steve Bodley's not here, he's getting a lot of airplane from me today, but again, <laughs> for him at Hargreaves Lansdowne, just trying to be an influence for the kingdom there is a great example. He's, let's, call him, let's call him Lydia Bodley, just for tonight. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so she's a leader, and, um, and she's got resources. And we can see that from all kinds of reasons. She's, she employs people, and she has a household. And she's, she welcomes Paul to come and stay at her household. Now, it's like those people of peace that Jesus had. Go and stay with them. And in the New Testament, people love to, to, to spend life, to, 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 to respond to hospitality, to really build relationships. There's no real substitute for that if we want to share the good news of Jesus with people, to build relationship, to, to respond to, hospita- to hospitality. Also, to let people give to us. You know, sometimes, again, as Christians, we can, we can, it's one-way traffic. We're here, we're the professionals, we're the ministers, we'll give to you, rather than letting people give to us who are on the journey of faith. And, and Jesus, again, with the woman at the well, the woman in Samaria, he said, please give me a drink. He made himself vulnerable to her and asked for her help. Paul's vulnerable in this situation. He needs some hospitality. Lydia gives it to him. And, um, and I guess she's, she is the head of a household. It's her household. There's no man described. We don't know whether, probably in that culture, she was widowed or single. But she's a leader. She's the head of a household. So that's, that's some stuff that we know about her. And, and what about her experience? I might just open my Bible. I really commend these. Unlike a phone, you can scribble on it. Well, to be honest, you can scribble on a phone, but it just lowers its value normally. Um, so Acts, again, just going to Acts chapter 16. Forgive me, Philip. This is really, you know, scruffy, old school. Um, It says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message, verse 14. So her experience, first of all, she actually hears someone preach. That's just really important. There are people who are hungry for God and God's drawing to himself. The missing gap is the proclamation, the message. And all of us are messengers. The church itself is a messenger. And I suppose we want to skill ourselves up to think, how can we, at the right time, when it's appropriate, share a message with people? But this place is also going to be a place where the message is being shared, where people are going to hear the good news. 
And I, I want us to have confidence that when we invite people to hear a message, their hearts are going to be opened. Can I just ask for a little show of hands here in the gloom? Um, how many people found that for them, a relationship with God is linked with hearing a message that someone proclaimed? Yeah, I mean, looking around, it's probably about 50%. Not so much a, a lone jury. I don't know the, the, your other stories, but for at least half the people in the room, it's a really significant hearing message. So let's have confidence in that, that God will use that. But it's also, it says, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's always a both-hand thing. The, you know, it's, we're doing our part, but God's doing his part. The Holy Spirit's working. We can't. It's a supernatural act, someone coming to faith, having their heart open. But the Lord is keen to do it. But it's in partnership with us. But what happens when the Lord opens her heart is that she gets baptised. And um, for us again, and here at Metro, baptism is such a key thing. We, we come to faith in all kinds of ways. For some people, it's love at first sight. For other people, it's a slow burn. It's a process of exploration and examination. But at some point, we want to mark that. It's a little bit like any romance. For some people, it's love at first sight. I'm going to marry that person. For other people, it's, we've been dating for years, you know. I'm thinking of, where are you, Luke Addison? No, no, anyway, we won't, we won't mention names. <laughs> but, um, but at some point, if you're really serious, you're going to make promises in public that you've made in private and you're going to express an exclusive commitment to that person in front of witnesses. And actually, that's what happens when people get baptised. They, they, how did you, you may not be able to mark the day when it happened, when you decided that God was real and that Jesus was going to be your Lord for the rest of your life. But baptism allows you to, to demonstrate that in front of people. And it's a really significant and powerful act. It demonstrates your exclusive loyalty to him as a follower. It's a line of sand, and there's a tremendous spiritual significance. It's as significant, maybe even more significant, than the act of marriage, I think, and the marriage service. So we want to commend baptism to you. And if, if you're sitting here tonight, and you, you haven't been baptised, and you're a follower of Jesus, you really have to ask the question, why, why haven't I? What's stopping me? You may be waiting for a good reason to get baptised. The good reason is Jesus commissions all of his followers to identify with him in that way and give their life to him. She got baptised. Not only did she get baptised, her whole household got baptised. Um, there's a lady in our congregation called Ashley Chambers. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know Ash, but um, she is a little bit of a Lydia. She, she um, had, had a, an extraordinary challenging life. She, Last Sunday night, she was speaking at, Met, uh, at Woodlands, and she she held she put on uh, on screen a picture of the Evening Post from in the 1990s, which said "Faces of Evil." It had pictures of 16 young black men who were in organised drug gangs and crime in the city. Faces of Evil. She said one of those guys was my teenage boyfriend. 16 years later, he died of gunshot wounds, and and for Ash, she came out of that hectic life. But I can remember her coming to an Alpha course and actually praying with her and her receiving the Holy Spirit. Here's a woman, you know, a dual heritage, left school with one 
GCSE in drama, you know, brought up in, in refugees and, and came into faith in Jesus and being completely transformed. A God-fearer, someone who is looking for God, who is spiritually hungry. And it's been an extraordinary thing to see all her family come to faith and get baptised. First of all, her husband, who was wondering what his wife was doing, going out to Alpha courses. What is this thing she's going to? And then um, her daughter and her son coming to faith. And then her mother, who's actually um, an extraordinary lady, again, had a very challenging life, part of the gay community in Bristol. And to, to kind of come out as a Christian was quite a big deal for her. And getting, seeing her get baptised. And then her mother, who she'd been estranged for for 20 or 30 years, also came into faith. And it's extraordinary what God does with a household, with a community, when a person of peace, whose God hand, hand is on, comes and leads, yeah, leads that. And it's fan, fantastic. That's, that's Lydia. She was that kind of person. And she invested generously in the church, that place of prayer. And you know, she fulfills a whole bunch of criteria that Paul was given by Jesus. Um, Paul, in the book of Acts, Acts 26, gives his testimony several times, actually. Throughout the book of Acts, we get Paul's testimony. It's a really important story. And there's a time towards the end of the book of Acts where the apostle Paul is on trial and, and he gets a visit from a, a neighbouring dignitary, King Agrippa. And the, the Roman governor, Scott, we've got this guy here. You probably know about the Jewish faith, don't you, Agrippa? We'd like to hear him. So Agrippa really wanted to hear Paul speak. And, and, and in his testimony, Paul says this. He talks about his experience on the Damascus Road when as a persecutor of Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus, a supernatural encounter with Jesus, where there was like a light that blinded him and knocked him from his donkey, where he heard a voice speaking to him, the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why is it so hard for you to kick against the goats? And he describes to King Agrippa the, the things that Jesus said to him there. He said, I've sent you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, for the forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified. You know, that, that was Paul's commission. That's what he felt Jesus had called him to do. But to be honest, those words gripped me when I, I read them a few years ago because I thought that's what God has called me to do too and you to do and called his church to do. That's our commission, to go to people who don't know. For their eyes to be opened, to be turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God for the forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified. And for Lydia, she's a Gentile person that has come from darkness to light. She's been baptised for the forgiveness of sins. She's found a place in the family of God. And not just a place. She's got a, a place in, in a, a record of her faith, her devotion, her door opening. That's extraordinary. Uh, and what happens next in the story, we, we don't hear about Lydia again, but we do hear about Philippi again. And in, you know, in, in this story, this, this mission trip, which begins with a supernatural prophetic revelation, it continues in the same way. One day Paul and his companions are on, on, on the road to a place of prayer and a slave girl's there with a, a spirit, a, um, 
an unclean spirit that gives her knowledge, divination. And she's being manipulated and used by her owners as, as a slave girl just to kind of make money. And she, she keeps crying out about Paul. Well, these are the followers of the Most High God. And then Paul says, got so disturbed, he turns around and delivers her from that evil spirit. She set free an extraordinary miracle. And, of course, the, the, the owners of the girl, they're enraged because they're losing money. And um, they have them put in prison. They're flogged. And uh, they're in prison, and they start to praise and worship God, and there's an earthquake, their chains fall off. The jailer comes rushing down, thinking, oh, this prisoner's going to escape. He's going to put himself the sword, and don't worry, it's Paul, we're all here. The jailer and his whole household get baptised. It's just an extraordinary dramatic story. If you've not read it, read it. But this is all kicked off by Paul's encounter with a woman at a place of prayer. And everything changes. So I don't know how the simple story of, of Lydia informs your attitude to mission. But I think there are some principles for all of us to take away from that. But I, I would encourage you to do these steps in your own personal discipleship. And I would encourage you as a community to take these steps. First of all, pray, God, where are you leading us? Who are you leading us to? What tools are you giving us to go? Second of all, be on the lookout for people of peace. Those men and women who are going to be, you sense their receptivity, you sense the influence they're going to bring, the kingdom. And be prepared to proclaim. Be prepared to tell your story. One of the most effective tools that each of us have got is our story. We're not trying to win an argument about faith, but we want to tell people about what we've experienced and look to see God opening people's hearts. And then when people's hearts are open, how can we f- let them find their place in the community? Now, honestly, Metro, you are so good at that. I was talking to Philip about engagement metrics for Metro. He said 110% of people in Metro are engaged. <laughs> I don't mean romantically, but I do mean, you know, you're part of a hub, you're on a serving team. 110%? More people than are yet here? It's fantastic. But no, honestly, you, you're great. And, and if you're new to Metro tonight, you're watching online, you think, is there a place for me to serve in this church? Well, there is, because it's a church with a vision and a mission to see everybody in community, everybody able to serve God, to see our city transformed. Um, and so I just want to commend you for that. But keep it up. And honestly, the church has had a bit of a tough old time. We've been through COVID. We've had so many changes. And um, the church all over the, the nation has shrunk a little bit. But I believe that God is going to give a great harvest this autumn for us. And he's going to give you a harvest. And you need to be prepared to make places of, places of welcome place of engagement, place of service with these men and women, with these young people that God is going to give you. So I'm going to pray that for you, then I'm going to sit down and shut up. But by the way, when I, when I arrived, I was just really grateful that you'd recognise my achievement. Big banner there saying, you've achieved so well. It's great. <laughs> um, thank you for putting that out for me. Um, Father God, as we, uh, we, we want to thank you for Lydia's story. 
We want to thank you, Lord God, that um, you made a place for people like her and you've made a place for people like us in your kingdom. And we want to commit ourselves as individuals and as a community to following you into that harvest field, into that mission that you have for us this autumn. I want to pray for, for Metro, for fruitfulness and faith and favour. I want the power of the Spirit to energise, to direct and guide. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.